Howdy, everyone. We're Hello. back. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're loving it. That's right. Okay, so today, episode six in John's I Am Statements. Uh, I'm going to open up with this scene and do some recreating of this possible scene. And it's... So imagine Dr. Frankenstein, who is uh, the doctor, not the monster. Mm. But Dr. Frankenstein, because they're different. Just making sure we're being literarily accurate here. Dr. Frankenstein and Igor are huddled around... Igor. Is it Igor? Igor. I thought I was pronounced Igor. That's a young Frankenstein Oh, is it it Igor? Okay. I thought I was on the other side. Anyway, so imagine Dr. Frankenstein and Igor are huddled around the monster on the table before it's brought to life. And starting with Dr. Frankenstein, he says, Are you ready, Igor? Yes, doctor, this is going to be amazing to bring this dead monster to life. Igor, yes, doctor, I am its life. What? I am the life, Igor. Um, yes, doctor. Uh, We couldn't do this without you. You're smart, and you are bringing this monster to life, and soon it will be resurrected. Igor! Yes, Doctor? I am the resurrection. What? All life, even your life, Igor, because is here because of me. I am the resurrection. I am life. Sure, Doctor. Okay, so imagine that scene... So good. Right? You guys did not see the full <laughs> how amazing that was. <laughs> right. Well there were there was some acting in here for my own for my own benefit. But imagine this scene. So they're bringing this monster back to life and Frank and Dr. Frankenstein is basically saying like <clears throat> not only am I going to bring this back to life, but I am it. And so it's just an odd like it's very odd. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't read that in the book uh or or anywhere else, you'd, you, would, you would find it odd if you were saying that. And so, to recap, Jesus, uh, in one of his I Am statements, says he calls himself the light. And so, he heals a blind man and then gives him the gift of light to his eyes. And then the Pharisees come in and they're ticked off because, he's, because Jesus is usurping their authority. He's healing on the Sabbath, which they don't believe he should be doing. And they're starting to like taunt this man and his parents uh, about like what's happening and who this man now believes in. And so Jesus meets back up with the man. And while the Pharisees are listening, Jesus tells him that he is the gate. He's his protection. I'm going to protect my sheep because they know my voice. And then he proceeds further and references himself as the good shepherd. Like, I am the good shepherd, is what Jesus says. And so we can, which can easily be connected to Psalm 23. And so that's what we've been talking about previously. And so today, now Jesus is using the words, I am the resurrection and the life. And so kind of to move into this space, uh, I'm going to ask Jeff some questions. As far as like Old Testament references, uh, like being raised from the dead is there anything in the old testament or what jesus is drawing upon with regard to resurrection or being being raised to life yeah so as with anything it's complex (laughs) (laughs) that's why you're here that's why i'm here right 
Uh, I mean, even at the time, there was the different kind of factions or the different kind of groups within Judaism, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Like, one of them, the Sadducees, didn't believe in life after death. Okay. While the Pharisees had some concept of it. They just thought, like, you died, that's it? Yeah. Okay. But also a little bit of that comes a little bit more from ruling classes like to, they don't want people to, to believe in life after death. Like, because ruling classes like the concept of having people, because death is like the primary weapon for if you're oh. a, an unkind ruler, that's something you can hold over people's heads. And so, like... Make, yeah, but if you, if you have a group of people who aren't afraid of death, then you don't really, you can't really control them. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Okay. So, but for the most part, I mean, the Old Testament is shadowy. Like, I mean, there's not clear, explicit, like, oh, this is talking about a clearly defined, like, resurrection concept. But there is a lot of, of uh, when you die because of God's covenant love like he's devoted to people like he's devoted to their flourishing and well-being that like like death just can't be the end okay all these things like there has to be some sort of so it's subtle you're saying yeah like I think of like David's psalm like in psalm 16 like where he's talking about like like you're not gonna let your holy one see corruption okay Like, like basically the story can't and there is kind of the general gist of if you wanted to summarize the Old Testament. What about what about David's thought about his son that died? Like, what it, it's something yeah. about like I will I will he, he won't return to me, but I will go to him. Right that mentality, right? That's another one. Uh, yeah, it's more like the concept of life after death is a little bit more subtle within the Old Testament, um, but for the most part. If you were an Old Testament saint, you would have had some sort of concept of our covenant God is going to do something. So Jesus even references in one of his uh, one of one of his other statements to the Pharisees. He said, even when talking about this subject, he said, "Don't you know the scriptures? When uh, God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He is the God of mm-hmm. the living, not of the dead.'" Yeah, right. Right. Which so is set, like, it's interesting that he like uses that as a resurrection proof text you okay. would have guessed like that one but it it's that concept of like he's a god of the living i like, am I not am. not i was i was right like yeah so he's yep okay so in ten eighteen, jesus also makes reference to his ability to lay down his life and then take it back up again um so did the dis- disciples catch on to this like Jesus references his resurrection or mm-hmm. being able to be revived. Did the disciples catch on to this when he said it? Maybe, kind of. <laughs> I mean, tell us so, plainly yeah, here, plain, Jeff. Yeah, I don't, it's one of those, like, I mean, that's kind of the whole narrative of the disciples' story is they kind of seem like they get it, and then they still kind of don't. Okay. I mean, as the story unfolds, like, and... Maybe it sounds when the shepherd is struck, like all the other sheep scatter. So to I mean to a certain extent, 
they didn't get it, but then when he rose from the dead, then he appeared, and then it seems to click at that point. So maybe it, maybe it sounds good on paper. Yeah. But when push yeah. comes to sho- push comes to shove. Right. Okay. I, mean, I know it seems, or maybe it doesn't, but commonplace of I mean, just the thought of like. It is extremely radical that somebody would rise from the dead. <laughs> and I know like the story of Christianity is pretty familiar to us, but it's still a radical concept of like of somebody getting coming back. Are there dead. are there literary or even one? <laughs> right. Um, are there literary or are there even movie things that we can like that you and I have talked about as far as like people being raised from the dead. The one, the one that comes to mind is Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. I mean, she didn't actually get raised from the dead, but it, it, was defi- it definitely appeared that way. Um, I'm trying to think of other like literary examples of... I mean, there's Fra- like in Greek Frank- mythology or different stuff like where well, that's people true. die and, and come back again. Yeah. Or probably from, I don't know, just not to bring everything back to Star Wars, but... <laughs> Somehow Palpatine was back <laughs> in the recent Rise of Skywalker. Right, right, that's true. What great writing and literary masterpiece of how that all came about. Anyway, yeah. moving on. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. So Martha was specifically looking for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. But then, even when she sees Jesus, Lazarus is already dead, but she says... But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Um, and then she sa- and then uh, and then Martha says after that, I have always believed that you are the Messiah. Like, how did Martha get to this place? Like, what what does her story look like? That she, like, she's not even thinking. She's thinking of him being the resurrection, like right now. I think even before yeah. he says it, right? Like she even says that. Does she say that line? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And then in verse 25, later on, then he even says, I am the resurrection and the life. So she must have had some kind of preconceived idea of, I know Jesus can heal. I've seen him do it before, and I've heard of him doing it before, but I even think that he's going to be able to raise dead people to life. Yeah. Wasn't she uttering what the whole theme verse of the Gospel of John, like believing that he's the Christ, the Son of God? Yeah. As far as the Messiah. Messiah. Yeah. Like she's uttering that whole, how John ends in that verse. She kind of embodies like what... Like in the story, as you're reading the story of what she's already witnessing these things unfolding, like that you should. She's already believed. Yeah. She's She's, there. She's there. (laughs) So in her mind is, if you when you get to that point, are you pretty much sure that nothing's impossible? Yeah, I mean, but also remember too that I mean she's lost a loved one, so it's also kind of like she's in deep grief and pain, and it's like, oh please, like. I hope that he can do this. Yeah. Because I love Lazarus. Gotcha. So it's personal for her, too. I think if we were thrusted in her position, too, well, it could go the other way, I guess, too, but she's, she's, 
like I'm all in on this because almost like how Peter, where else am I going to go kind of thing, how he ends with, after the, the first one we did, I am the bread. It's, inter- it's interesting to see her reaction to, even to Jesus. I don't want. I don't want to say the like the the phrase Jesus isn't enough, like that's not what I'm trying to get here. But it's but it's more along the lines of. I have been in community with this person for so long, that this almost seems too much to bear, mm-hmm. and I want to keep that community. I mean, you know what I'm saying, and it's it's her brother too, isn't it? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just just trying to trying to sift Wrap through here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's the shortest verse in the Bible, which is John eleven thirty five, which is Jesus wept. And so why like why would Jesus be weeping even though he knew what he was going to do? Or we just you know, we just mentioned this before we started, but did did do you think Jesus knew what he was gonna do? Yeah, I. It's interesting. We were talking earlier, and there was a commentary that mentioned uh, how Jesus entered in of his initial comment of "I am the resurrection and the life." He he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in the last day. Like that's a done deal. It was more of like, was he going to raise him in that moment? Is what the commentator was mentioning, and I don't know really where I land on it. Uh, it's an interesting thought, but it does seem like premeditated as the narrative is unfolding too. That like he was planning on raising Lazarus yeah. from the dead. But even with that, the whole point of all of this is that it, it doesn't really matter that Jesus, if he knew ahead of time. Death still sucks, right? And and Jesus knows that, and he's grieved by it. So even if he's raising, knowing ahead of time that he's raising somebody from the dead, like to to triumph, to be triumphant over it, like it's it still grieves him and, and pains him to to encounter death. Like it doesn't make one immune from from feeling the feelings that you need to have associated with death. So here's something, and I don't, I don't mean to turn Jesus yeah. back on himself, but, but in John 20, and then verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stood and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot, in the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they asked her, Dear woman, why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And then they said, um, and then Jesus even appears and says, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? You know, I mean, I guess, I, I don't know if this, why, why, would that, why would that seem like almost opposed to each other? Like, hmm. Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I mean, maybe part of it is, Part of it is Jesus's resurrection is a unique one because he's, I'm going to make this clear. So like Lazarus 
died. Like, he was dead. And okay. he was raised from the dead. But also, he died again. Mm-hmm. So there was something a little bit different with his resurrection versus with Jesus. He's raised from the dead. He de- he's not dying again. And that's what he's raising us to. So I don't know if there's a different attitude of once that moment happens in history that like that there's something not that there can't be there can still be some sort of grief attached but I mean that's how the end like in Revelation where there's there's not going to be any more there's tears. no like, more there's no more weeping there's no more weeping like that mentality of because something drastically has has changed and happened because Jesus rose from the dead hmm. maybe it's and even we have that same hope yeah maybe it's even just a yes and you know what I mean right it's like there's 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 room to cry and there's room to not cry right you know. I think well, and Jesus didn't even reveal himself to to Mary in the garden. You know, he's like, "Why? Why are you crying?" Maybe it was more of a question like, "You shouldn't be crying." You know, "Why are you crying?" But it's more mm-hmm. like, "Oh, just tell tell me about tell me about why you're crying." Right. And maybe that's yeah. I, okay, the, the, yeah. I don't know. The shape of it is saying two different things. Right. However you look at it. Yeah, I think there. Well. We, we cry when our, you know, our, we think our kids are lost and then they come back and we're, you know, we're crying because we're happy and we're crying because we were sad. And, you know, I right. think there's lots of different emotions going on here. So, yeah, but we don't have, but I think it's okay to somewhat cry associated with death now because that last day hasn't happened for all the rest of us. Mm-hmm. The Jesus resurrection for all of us for those who trust in him hasn't happened yet. Like that last day hasn't happened yet. So there I there can still be some grief associated with There's a loss. There's a loss. Yeah. Gotcha. But, but after that moment and we're all in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, like there wouldn't be. There's no more loss. There's, there's no more loss. Cool. Yeah. How did the Pharisees respond to Lazarus's resurrection and why why would they like why would they respond this way? Yeah, I mean it's all the what it's all been building up for for the last several chapters too. They're just they're not happy about it even though it seems silly that he just for somebody to have that power over death and to be able to give life how could you see that as a bad thing? But they do. Right? <laughs> And I think a chunk of it, too, is what he's been saying throughout all these other I am statements. He's making really powerful, bold claims. Like, as I said earlier, within the Old Testament, it's the Lord who's claiming, their covenant God is claiming to be able to do this. And then now you have this person in front of them who's saying, I'm I'm doing this. I'm, I'm it. I'm the one who's on the last day gonna raise people from the dead. That's that's just a bold claim, yeah. Do you think do you think that's relevant to our own 
perceptions of Jesus. <clears throat> like it's it's one thing to think of Jesus as loving because we like people to be loving and him to be kind and gracious and feed people. But there's something there's something more when we like we feel inside ourselves like like I I feed myself, you know. This is me talking here. I'm I'm mm-hmm. feeding myself and I am providing my own light by turning on the light switch and I am you know, I'm making my own choices and I'm my own protector and I'm mm-hmm. my own leader. You know, I'm the captain of my own ship. That okay. Those kinds of, uh, is it postmodern maybe? Just, you know, yeah. ma- materialistic type, you know, I'm the, I, se- I set my own course type mm-hmm. statements. Right. And it sounds reminiscent even of them thinking that God is in those positions, but we don't like the God that he's presenting himself at. But even in our day, it's like, you have to, you have to reconcile with, you're not the captain of your own ship. You know, Jesus, Jesus is calling himself that. Yeah. And so seeing, like seeing these examples. I think you would have to ask yourself, how's that working out for you (laughs) as the captain of your own ship kind of mentality too, like to turn it back on, right. On yourself too. You know? Sure. Uh, just an ending. Uh, this is the fifth I am statement. We have two more to go. Um, and just want to leave you with a couple questions uh, real quick. How are you processing this? Um, you know, as, as you're going through life, we, we like to think that, uh, that we provide for ourselves, that we, you know, do things for ourselves and we can make our own choices and, you know, we, we can set the course for our life. So how are you processing this when Jesus is making such bold statements? Um, and maybe answer this question of how many I am statements did it take you to believe? Uh, after Jesus says, you know, I am the bread and you're like, I, I'm there. <laughs> um, yeah, I want it. Got it. Need it. Love it. Um, maybe Jesus said, I am the bread and you're like, I like bread, but I want to make my own bread. Or maybe Jesus, you know, said, I am the light. And you're like, well, I can get my own light. I don't really need your light. Um, how many, uh, how many statements did it take for you to believe? And, and maybe these are interesting to you. Maybe you want to dig a little deeper. And when we reach number seven, I guess my question is, is will you still be looking for more? You know, are you at the point now where it's like, I've, I've heard enough of these I am statements that, that I'm in, you know, I don't, I don't need any more. I don't want any more. Or, you know, are you going to say, I'll, I'll hear what Jesus has to say until the end. And then if I don't like it, I'll, I'll keep looking for more. And I think it's important to recognize that, that there are seven of these statements, you know, the, the, the time, the evidence has been put forth Mm -hmm. and there's a, there's a time of making that choice. Right. Right. Yep. So anyway, Anything else before we take off? I think got we, we got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I you want to, we said everything. If you want to listen to the amazing intro again, <laughs> feel free. But um, sure, appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, like I said, if you have any questions or anything like that, let us know, and we'll see you next time. Later. Adios.